Well, good morning. Well, when uh, about uh, a month ago, when uh, Pastor Tom um, invited me to uh, speak this morning, um, actually, my initial reaction was to say no, because uh, actually, you know, with my schedule and the commitment I already had, I was actually reluctant to take on a, a, a additional responsibility. But as I prayed and uh, just sought the Lord um, with regards to whether I should speak or not, I think the, the, um, the sense in my heart, actually, really came from my heart, was a um, sense that um, uh, was a desire to uh, kind of give back to this church. Um, actually, my wife and I actually do not attend this church regularly, um, but our children, um, my son and my daughter, attend this church, and they are part of the youth group, and actually over the past few years, they have really been blessed. Actually, some of you might know my son better than me. He, his name is uh, Jonathan Chin, Johnny. He's the one who shaved his head last year as part of the 30-hour famine, um, that unforgettable picture. Um, and, uh, and he's actually currently on a short-term mission with the team to Ghana. So I, I think, you know, it's really that sense in my heart that, um, you know, God has really uh, blessed our family through CCC. And if there is an opportunity to um, give back even in a little bit, I just felt that the Lord wanted me to do that. So thank you for the invitation for me to come this morning. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer and look to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this morning. And may these words be an encouragement to all those who seek to live effectively in this land to glorify your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So Stephen already briefly introduced me to you, uh, our family, and I know that most of you don't know us me very well. Um, Twelve years ago, oh, I, let me just start by saying that uh, uh, I went to the States when I was 10 from Hong Kong and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, where I eventually got my medical training. Um, and during my training, um, as with many of you, I'm sure when you're growing up, you try to figure out what is it the Lord would want you to do. And and uh, I had to make a decision about whether I would, as a, as a medical doctor, uh, to serve the Lord in um, like a, a, a missionary kind of hospital setting or in a secular setting. And at that time, as I went through a period of seeking, it was very clear to me that the Lord wanted me to serve in the secular world and to live for him. So after several years of, uh, of seeking, uh, you know, um, serving uh, overseas was always something that was uh, on my heart and my wife's heart. After many years of, of prayer and seeking, the Lord actually opened a door for us to come to China uh, 12 years ago. Uh, essentially, I really felt like it was my calling to come to China to serve in the area of improving the health of the Chinese people, as well as to uh, serve to make disciples as part of the Great Commission here in this land. And when we left uh, the U.S., uh, a, a very important, uh, Lord gave us uh, many verses, but among the most important one actually was from uh, John uh, 15, 16, where it said that uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you, that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. So during these, throughout all these years, I can honestly say that uh, I, my wife and I, and have really tried to and strive to, and in many cases struggle, <laughs> to, uh, 
to try to be fruitful uh, in this land, uh, whether it's in my professional calling in which I work a lot with the government, uh, uh, whether it's in serving local believers uh, in, in, in primarily in Beijing, or in uh, being parents to our children. We have really honestly tried and strived to, by the Lord's grace, to be fruitful. Um, I think that um, as I look around, um, you know, members of this congregation come from many parts of the world, uh, different parts. I think what unites us together uh, is the fact that uh, we have Christ in our heart, He is our Lord, and the fact that we're in this land. That's really the, the two most important things uh, in our lives. And so I know, just like myself, I know it is not by accident that you are here. It is not by accident that the Lord has put you in this place, in this time. And I also believe that many of you want to live effectively for Christ in this land. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's really not easy. Um, I used to have a very, we have a, a very good friend who um, came to China several years ago, and we, we, they, she preceded our family into China. And she, when we first came to China, she told us, she said, you know what? You know, I'd love to serve here, but every three months I have to leave China <laughs> um, just so to get a break and, and to refresh herself. So I know it's not easy. And so the question I think that all of us need to wrestle with every single day is to say, how can I live more effectively for Christ? How can we do that in, this ch in China? How can our work and our life here bring honor to his name? How can we fulfill the purpose for which he has called each one of us? And God has indeed has a purpose, each one of us. So that's what I want to share a little bit about this morning. Um, as a, really as a uh, fellow pilgrim on this journey, um, I want to share just a, a few things about what the Lord has been teaching me, has taught me, and continues to teach me about how to live effectively in this country. Um, there are no secrets. <laughs> there are no secrets. And maybe what I'm going to say may seem obvious. But I'll just share from my heart because it's from my experience. I'll share about three areas. Number one is I really believe in the importance of abiding with a holy God. Number two, I really believe that the importance of perseverance in trials. And number three, and the importance of resisting temptations. So I'm going to share about these three areas. I'm going to start with uh, abiding with a holy God, and why, why, why I said this. You know, even though I'm talking about living effectively for God, it's sometimes very easy when I say that, we focus on effectiveness, focus on what we actually do. But, and so we often measure effectiveness by what we accomplish, what we achieve. I mean, that's what the world does, whether it's a young people going through school, whether it's a person in a career, uh, everybody is comparing you to what somebody else has done. But Scripture does not put the priority on what we do. As a matter of fact, Scripture clearly puts the priority and the focus on being rather than doing. Being rather than doing. I think you're familiar with John 15. John 15 is really the, one of the classic passages that talks about our life's, the fact that our life's effectiveness is entirely dependent upon our ability and our, whether we are abiding in God or not. So, the fruit is the natural outcome of the tree, not vice versa. So, in Matthew 7, it says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, 
and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You see the relationship between being and doing. But being is always the focus in Christian life. Um, another way of looking at it is in 1 Peter 2.9. I think the verse is up there. I hope it's up there. Um, I think we have that. There you go. Let us read this verse together, which I think you're very familiar with. Can we read this together? It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This verse, the second half of this verse, tell us essentially what we're to do. It tells us what our calling and our life purpose is like. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness in his wonderful light. Isn't that, doesn't that summarize us very well what we're to be? That we are actually to bring praises to God. That we bring honor to his name. That by our lives and our words, that others will see more of the greatness of God. And that's really, I mean, summarizes very, very well who we are to be as God's people. But we cannot do that unless we realize who we are. And this verse tells us who we are to be. We're to be God's chosen people. We're to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's possession. Now, most of the term in the first half of this verse, actually, if you think about it, it's actually not something that we earn. It's actually something that is conferred upon us, right? Just think about it. We're chosen. We didn't choose God. God. We're royalty. That is also given to us. We're God's possession. We don't possess God. God chose us and chose to give us. But there is one thing about this verse, which I think is central to abiding with God, which we should not miss. And this is what is talking about here about being a holy nation. Holiness is something that is both we cannot earn in some sense is given by God, but it's also something that we need to strive toward. It is the one thing in this verse which I see is that we have to take responsibility for. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, in fact, I think holiness is so important that according to Peter, it is to be the defining characteristics of God's people. So let's read the next verse here, which is 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Let's read that together, okay? Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverence. So the center of this verse, as you'll see, you just go back to the previous slide, just one, one slide, is in verse 15 and 16, right? Because the center of this passage says this, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, it says for it is written. Well, where is this written? Well, this is actually written in the book of Leviticus. Here's the context. You know that when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he was actually bringing out a people for himself. The, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. 
that many generations had grew up in Egypt. They had basically adopted the custom, the, uh, the culture, the habits, the religious beliefs of the Egyptians. But God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in order to establish a people for himself. That was his purpose. They were supposed to be God's people. But it wasn't that easy, wasn't it? <laughs> you know that as soon as they left Egypt, what happened? They wanted to go back. <laughs> While on the way in the desert, they complained. They didn't say, I don't have water. I don't have meat. I wish I was back in the comfort of Egypt. They didn't want to be God's people. And so it took time. Ultimately, we know that even at the foot of Mount Sinai, they built a golden calf to worship. They were basically rejected God. But here is where this verse actually is precisely at that point in time that God said this. And this is in Leviticus 11, 44 to 45. And this is where it says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I'm holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creatures that moves about on the ground. So this is... Um, uh, and then there's also the next verse. I am the Lord your God. I, I'm the Lord who brought you out, out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I'm holy. Now, when we consider, when you think about this, you know, actually I find, I don't know about you, that rarely nowadays in church do we hear someone preaching about holiness. Rarely. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I say rarely. And I think it's because, you know, we're so focused on the New Testament where we talk about God of grace and mercy. And that is true. But God is also a holy God. So, when you, so sometimes we actually have to go back to the Old Testament to really find the core teaching. And this is really part of the core teaching. When you, when you think about it, when you think about why it is that God says here. This, 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 is, this is what he says. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I'm holy. What we see here is that God wanted us to be holy primarily to establish a relationship with us. That God wants us to be his people. But because God is the holy God, he cannot, we cannot even draw close to him. We cannot abide with him unless we are holy. And so God says, you have to be holy. It's not just because there's a bunch of rules. When we talk about holiness, we theory think about rules. We think about somebody who has a halo around their head, who doesn't sin, who... But that's not the purpose. Yes, that is part of it. But ultimately, it's to, because God wants to build a relationship with us. He wants to be our God and for us to be his people. If you think about the book of Leviticus, it's easy to look at it as a, a set of very cumbersome rules. But actually, those rules were to help the Israel to understand what it means to be set apart for God. That's the meaning of consecrated, to be consecrated for God, to be set apart for God. They were to be set apart. They would be different from the Egyptians and from the people of Canaan. In addition, holiness would be the trademark for their witness. Without holiness, they could not possibly be an effective witness. So God knew this. So... This is really important, that God actually wants holiness in our lives in order to establish a relationship with us. Do you know how, much, how important this is to God? It is so important that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. 
That was the atoning sacrifice. God knew, just as it was in the Old Testament, that even though he would call his people, but his people would sin. But he said, I want to make a way for my people of Israel to come back to me. So we instituted the sin offering, the sacrifice of atonement, the sacrificial lamb. That even in the Old Testament, that would allow his people to come back to him and be brought back into relationship. Today, God viewed this so important that that's why Jesus had to die on the cross to allow us to be able to enter back into his presence in holiness. So we all want to abide with God. We all want to live with God. But what we may not realize is that holiness is actually the key to abiding with Christ. Without holiness in our lives, we cannot abide with God, and God cannot abide with us. So why is this so important? Why is abiding in God's holy presence important for effectiveness? Actually, I think that's actually pretty obvious, right? Again, you don't, you don't have to go very far in the Old Testament. Let's just think about the story of Jericho and the story of Ai, you remember. After the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into Canaan, they approached this huge, you know, well-fortified city of Jericho. God delivered Jericho into their hands without them doing a single thing, right? <laughs> they marched around seven days, you know, and the last day seven times, and they shouted, and the wall collapsed, and they just went in. They captured the city. We'll have to do very much. But then what happened? The very next city they approached was this tiny city called Ai, right? As a matter of fact, the Israelites said, you know what? It's, it's probably not worth bringing the entire army up there. I mean, after all, they're going to surrender as soon as we approach them. So they sent 3,000 men up there to fight. And what happened? They were chased. They were defeated. Many died. Why? Because of one person's sin. A person called Achan, who did what God commanded Israelites not to do. But in Joshua 7, here's how God viewed this. He says, instead of saying Achan is the one who sinned, God says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. It's because when they sinned, God departed from them. And they could not even fight the, the easiest battle. And that's the same truth that we have to believe today. The Bible has many examples of where one person's sins led to the downfall of an entire community. But thankfully... There are also many examples where one person's obedience also saved an entire community. So what does this mean for you and me as we live in China? I think we know that abiding with God is the key. We cannot hope to be able to be effective in this land without abiding in God. But what we do not realize, maybe, is the fact that we need to strive to live, live a holy life. We cannot allow small sins to fester in our lives and reduce its effectiveness. If you feel defeated, if you feel like my life is ineffective, we need to start there and say, Lord, can you show me? Holy Spirit, can you speak into my heart? Help me to see, are there areas in my life that maybe no one else can see, no one else knows, but it is something that is preventing you and I from being fully, holy, fully having God in our lives, and therefore being fully victorious. And that's my prayer, 
today for you. Now, the second area that I want to talk to is persevering in trials. I know that situation is not easy. Sometimes, I think when I talk to people, I, I know that I cannot fully understand the challenges that they may go through or that I don't know all the challenges that you're going through. But I do know that even though I don't understand your struggles, I know that God does. And while I do not want to make light of the struggle that you're in, I really do believe that God's grace is sufficient for you. So many of you here want to live an effective life for Christ. And I want to encourage you with these verses that we're about to look at. Because no matter what struggle that we're facing at, I really believe that God is providing a way to help us. And so I want to share from the book of uh, James. Let's read uh, uh, this together. James 1, 2 to 4, and then 12 to 15. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. I want to talk a little bit about perseverance in trials. You know, this uh, passage uh, tells us that we will face trials. We know that we will face trials. But it tells us that we're actually to have joy, to be joyful when we encounter trials. Now, you and I know from this verse that it's not because of the trial itself that we should be joyful, but rather because of the outcome from, from these trials that we are uh, to, be, uh, to be blessed with. I want to start by saying that in, in, in this very short uh, uh, passage, the verse, there's a, the word, the word um, trial is translated as in Greek as the word Parasmos. Okay, next slide. And the word parasmos actually has two meanings. One, it talks about the outward trial or testing that we might face. At the same time, the same word in Greek also says it's about talks about temptation, which is the inner enticement to sin. So it's interesting that in this short passage, whereas in verses two and three it talks about trials. In verses 13 and 14, it talks about temptation. But it's the same verse. It's the same word in Greek. So let's go back to the, the verses uh, one to f- uh, 2 to 4. It tells us that we're to have joy when we encounter trials. And you and I face many, many trials day in and day out. Why is it that we are to be joyful? Well, you know um, what event is going to happen um, it, you know, within uh, in a month or so in London, right? It's the Olympics. You know, four years ago it was in Beijing, now it's going to be. And for an Olympic athlete has to endure many hours and days and sometimes years of intense training 
in order to get themselves to a point where they can compete for the gold medal. Right? But let's think about it. If an athlete, as he's going through this training, has that assurance in his heart that by going through this training, he or she is actually going to win the gold medal, doesn't that make the training totally different? As he or she goes through this training, he can be joyful. It may be no fun getting up at four in the morning. It may be no fun going to bed late at night. It may be no fun having all the aching uh, uh, muscles uh, on their bodies. Uh, but they can have this joy. You know, Hebrews said this of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what Jesus was experiencing. Well, let's look at the outcome of the trials that this is talking about. First of all, this verse tells us that, just go back, it, it says that, um, that because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The word perseverance is actually the, a picture of a person who's able to carry a heavy load for a very long time. You can actually carry a very heavy load for a long time. Well, let's think about what it takes for a person to develop this kind of capacity to carry the heavy load. Probably the person has to start with a very light weight. We start with 5 kilograms, and then 10, and then 15, and then 30, and then 50, and then 100 kilograms, right? So the person has to go to the weight room and train, increase the heaviness of the weight that he's training with. And then in order to produce endurance, the person has to repeat this, the repetition of the same weight-bearing exercise many, many times over days and weeks and months. When this happens, what happens is that the person develops a capacity to carry a very heavy load for a long time. See, this is the picture. This is the picture for the Christian. If we, the picture is that as we encounter trials, maybe initially, it's maybe, you might feel like the trial is, 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 is hard, it's difficult. But as you bear with it, as you train yourself, what this says is that you will develop a capacity to be able to bear under the trials that you, you will face. And then, but then what happens with that? As you develop, as the testing of our faith, develop this strong and enduring faith, as we encounter trials of increasing difficulty, we can then develop a faith that can stand up to the challenges of life. You know, you might think that what you're going through now is difficult, but pray and ask for God's strength because you know that what it is leading to is not necessarily just something random. Just look at what, what's going to happen. It says, after this, it says, let perseverance finish its work. Then you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word mature and complete is not just a general term. It actually has a specific goal. So, for instance, a Nobel laureate in literature, you would say that that person's writing is mature and complete. A gymnast who just completes a, a routine on the floor exercise and gets a 10 out of 10, you would say that person's gymnastic skill is complete and mature. You see, that's the picture that God wants us to be in our life, in our faith. We know, he knows that it's weak, 
but he's in the business of completing his work in us. And when, and when his work is completed in us, and we become mature and complete, we become effective for every use that he might have in our lives. So, so we can be joyful. It is hard sometimes. It is hard to go, for you to go through maybe what trials you feel you're going through right now. But that's not the end. Ultimately, in verse 12, it tells us that the ultimate reward for persevering and standing up to the test is that the person will receive the crown of life. You know, to, to the readers of James, the, the crown of life is not just a crown that you put on the king's head, right? But it's actually the laurel wreath that is given to the athlete which has run the race and won the race. And that's, the, that's what we're in, right? We know that we're in a marathon. We're in the race of life. But this race of life is not, just doesn't end just right here. There's a purpose. There's an ending. And one day, whether it's in this life or in the life to come, God says, I will give you the crown of life, which Paul says causes a crown that will last forever. So when life gets tough, Christians are called to keep the focus on the heavenly reward. In fact, the New Testament uses the heavenly reward to spur us on to follow God in times of difficulties. So if you are in that trial right now, let me encourage you. Not only is God with you, but he has a purpose. And he will, he is with you and he will reward you. But aside from trials, the third thing that I want to say is that in China, perhaps more than in many other places in the world, there are temptations. So let's make no mistake about it. You know, anybody who wants to live a righteous life will face attacks. That's a guarantee. If you don't want to face attacks and challenges in your life, then it's better not to be a Christian, or at least not, don't be a serious one. But let's look at what God has to say from his word about this. Let's go back to that verse, in, beginning in, in verse uh, 13. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Well, what is the source of temptation, and how do they occur? James tells us that temptations do not originate from God, because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But we're actually tempted by our evil desires. Now, James emphasized here the role of evil desires as the source of temptation. In fact, the evil desire here he's talking about is the battle of good and evil that is within us. So in 1 Peter 2.11, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We have to recognize that it is this evil desire within us that is actually leading us to temptation. And 1 John says this, is that it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Now, let's... And it's interesting that in verse 14 here, James uses the picture. He actually uses two pictures. But the first picture is a picture that comes from fishing. Well, the picture is the picture of a bait that is set on the water to entice the fish. And then once the fish bites, then the fisherman pulls the fish and then is dragged away. So it's a picture of a bait. 
the bait is the temptation for the fish, because the fish has a desire to eat the bait. See, there are many things that appeals to us. They're like bait that are going around us in our lives. But the question is whether we take the bait or not. You, you can imagine that if there's a bait out there, but the fish is swimming around, but the fish looks at the bait and says, you know, I don't really care. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me. So he just swims around. Can the bait actually catch the fish? No. The fish has to have the inner desire to say, I'm going to bite. And when he bites, then the fish is caught. So it is our evil desires within us that drags us away so that we follow its leading. And instead of li living a life that follows God's word, we follow our own evil desire. I think this is, if you look at what's happening in Chinese society today, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to be critical of Chinese society, but I mean because we're here and we know of the problems. We know of the corruption that takes place. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, you have corruption in companies and corporations, you know. Western countries have a lot of those. It's okay to, you know, it's one thing to have corruption in government because there are also corrupt governments all around the world. But how many countries do you actually see corruption in hospitals and in schools? I, to me, as a medical doctor, it's getting a little bit too much when doctors becomes people who are corrupt instead of doing good. But why is that? Why is our society like that? Why is it that the families, the family structure in China is breaking down? It's mainly because of sexual sins, extramarital affairs, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, divorces are all on the rise. But the problem is not, we can't just blame general society. The issue is inside each one of us. It's inside us. It's ultimately because these temptations are all out there, but it's how people react. But if people do not have God in their lives, there's nothing to constrain them, to hold them back from living uh, this kind of life. So when tempted to sin, the Bible tells us we actually have a choice. We actually have a choice. That's the wonderful thing. If you're not a Christian, that your choices are extraordinarily limited. You have to rely on your own resources to fight off the temptation, to fight off the bait. But as a Christians, we don't have to do that. James' second uh, picture that is used here is one from human biology. He uses, he uses the term that, um, can you have the next verse? Then after desire, in other words, after you take the bait, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The picture is of conception of a fetus. That once you take the bait, then sin gives birth. And once it gives birth, it will continue to grow. But it is not healthy growth. It's actually more like growth of a cancer cell that grows and multiplies. And eventually it causes the person to die. The danger of sin is that sin begets sin. The initial impact may seem to be small but then it becomes bigger and bigger. If a person, you know, I think people anywhere, if they give in to corruption, maybe the first time it's only, only for a small amount, but then it becomes easier and easier to take bigger and bigger amount. It's easy when somebody looks at a pornographic picture or movie on the internet, the first time they might feel a little bit guilty, but then the person looks more and more again. What happens? It becomes easier and easier. And so sin basically weakens our ability to lead a holy life. 
And so we have to stand up. And the Bible says we have to stand up and to resist sins. And so I want to, I don't want to, I, I want, I want to um, say that precisely because in China there are so many sources of temptation that we need to pray for one another. We need others to hold us accountable. We need to have God's word in our life and we need to stand and resist. Thankfully, God has given us what we need to fight this battle. I think you're all familiar with the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse tells us that God will provide a way out. It's the key is whether we look for it and whether we strive and we're willing to live according to it. So we should be thankful that God is making it possible for us to live effectively. I want to say that is to note that being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin because being tempted is different from actually sinning in and of itself. So you might say, well, I feel tempted, but if you don't give in to sin, that is not that, that actually shows that you're actually alive as a Christian, that you're actually struggling, that you're fighting off debate. And that's actually good news. So do not feel guilty if, if you feel tempted. But when you are tempted, then look to God and to other Christians for your help. So as I uh, close and invite the worship team to come back up, um, I, I pray that um, God's word... Um, has encouraged you today to strive to live more effectively for him in this land. I, I honestly believe that God has a purpose for each one of us, that he wants to bless us and he wants to bless us with his presence. And through his presence and by us abiding in him and by him abiding in us, that we can live effectively. Um, and if you're struggling with trials, if you're struggling with temptations, I pray that the word of God would continue to minister to you and to help you in the same way it continues to help me to strive to be um, effectively here in China. And finally, recognize that above all, God so desires an intimate personal relationship with you such that he will spare at nothing to help you to live a holy life to persevere through trials, to receive, to resist temptation. So be encouraged. Thank you. Let's rise as we sing song. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, all I have within me, I give.
My desire. This is my desire. of uh, this song would be more and more of a reality in our lives. Father, I pray in the areas of our lives where we're weak, in our desire for holiness, in our, in our battle with sin, where we're weak, God, that you'd make us strong. Renew our commitment, Lord, to honor you in the big things and the small things of our lives as we walk out of here. 
Father, in the places where we're hard, I pray that you would break us, that you would humble us, that you would reverse our course, that we would become soft and pliable in your hands. God, there's no part of our hearts that we don't open to you for your work to be done. And we do pray that the words that were spoken today, that the the word that was brought to us today would have its work deep within us. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to come forward, speak with anybody, have a chance to pray with someone, we'd be happy to do that. If this is your first time here, we've got a welcome area just out down to the right past the coffee. We'd love to say hello if we can answer any questions or just, just meet you. We'd love to do that as well. So have a great week.